In 2 Samuel 19, we see the king restored, King David restored to the throne, but not without grief and not without the aftermath of consequences. Today, our special guest speaker, we affectionately know him as Coach. It's Pastor Chris Van Hook. He'll teach on the restoration of King David, 2 Samuel 19, today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. I want you to look at the result of this decision in verse 14. It says in verse 14, so he, David, swayed the hearts of all of the men of Judah just as the heart of one man. In other words, immediately there began this unification. All of the hearts became as one man so that they sent this word to the king. Return you and all your servants. Remember in that last statement, he goes, why is there this lack of of quick action here? And now he says, It says in verse 14, the people said, return, you and all your servants. You see this move that David had made. They began to see that David was not wanting revenge, that David wanted unification. He wanted reconciliation. David was already starting in this one little incident to unify the people of Israel once again. And in verse 15, it says, then the king returned and came to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king to escort the king across the Jordan. So now here comes David. He crosses back over the Jordan into Israel with all his loyal followers from Judah and also from the tribe of Benjamin. And in verse 16, it says, And Shimei, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Verse 18, then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord, the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. Do you remember this incident? Do you remember what Shimei had done? You can go back later and look in chapter 16. It's in verses five through eight. But Shimei was loyal to Saul, not to David. He had never looked at David as a true king. In fact, in this incident that he's talking about, he fired rocks at David and he cursed at him. And so now he comes and David is returning as the king and he falls down. He prostrates himself before the king and he says, please don't impute this iniquity to me. Isn't it amazing what people will do when they're caught red handed? Isn't it amazing what they'll resort to and. They know that I might have to pay a price for my previous actions here. This was probably not too good that I threw rocks at the king and that I cursed him out. 
And I think if we look at it, we get asked the question, well, was Shimei really repenting for what he'd done or was he really just trying to save his skin? And my guess is the latter. And I say that by the way he approached it and what he said. You see, I think had he really been repentant, I think he might have included something like this in his statement. Your majesty, I have sinned against you and I deserve nothing less than death. And I willingly surrender to you and I will accept your judgment. You see, there's a big difference between confession and repentance. And that's a lesson for us. We need to know the difference. You see, confession is just agreeing. And when we confess to the Lord, we're just agreeing with God that we've done something wrong. He already knows it. We're just agreeing with him. Yes, Lord, this was wrong. When we confess our sin to God, we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. We're just saying, Lord, I missed the mark. I get it. But repentance is a different thing. Repentance means that we turn away from that sin, that we see that sin for what it is. And we ask God for his help. Lord, please don't allow me to stay in this sin. Don't allow me to do this sin again. I turn to you. I want to follow you. I don't see Shammai really doing that here. And I think it's important for us that we learn to not just agree with God, but to repent And consider the consequences that our sin really deserves. Lord, this sin, if if it wasn't for you, Jesus, dying on the cross for me, this sin would cause my death, my separation from you. That's how awful our sin is. We tend to not look at our sin in that deep of a way. And I think we need to acknowledge that God has every right to lay upon us the consequences of that sin. We need to remember that. That we are not deserving of God's grace and of his mercy, but he gives it to us anyway. And then we can thank him in the end of our confession and repentance that he does have boundless mercy for us. His mercies are new every morning. And I love that verse because I say all the time that I use them all up every day and I need them that next morning. Well, in any case, David here, regardless of whether Shammai is repentant or not, David is not going to take revenge this day. Look at verse 21. It says, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? I don't think they thought they were being adversaries. But David says, shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not know that today, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? See, David wants to show benevolence here. David doesn't want any more bloodshed here. How far has he come from mourning for Absalom to the place that he's at right now? To where this this shaking up by Joab, even though he may have questioned Joab's motives, has brought him to a place where he's come to his senses and he said, I've got to do something here. I've got to restore this country. And I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to do that. Now, let's look at verse 23. He says, Therefore the king said to Shimei, and I'm sure Shimei was Shimeiing, 
waiting for David's answer here. You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Now, I would like to say that this is a great picture of David representing the love and mercy of Jesus here. Wouldn't that make a great sermon? I mean, I would just love to. This is the picture of David because David is a man after God's own heart. And David often is the representative, a foreshadowing of Jesus. And it seems like right here that that's what he is being. He's being benevolent. He's showing great mercy. But I can't really say that. Because though it seems that way, we'll see that later that David's mercy on Shimei is not permanent the way Jesus's mercy on us is. Nor is true mercy shown to Joab. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. Now, this is further down the road here. And uh, David is about to die. And he's giving his instructions to his son Solomon, who is going to be his successor. So 1 Kings 2, verse 5. I want you to follow this with me. Moreover, Solomon, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime. Isn't that interesting? And put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, Solomon, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. In other words, have him killed. That's what he's saying. Verse seven, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Verse 8, see that you have with Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Behurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day I went to Menahem, Mahinam. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Wow. So you see, David was showing mercy that day, but it was only temporary. And, you know, we could look at this and say, well, that's not a very good picture of Jesus. And that's true. But we also could judge David for this and say he was just very vindictive and vengeful. And then he was wrong here. But I think we need to realize that David was trying to do what he thought he must do to accomplish the goal of keeping his descendants on the throne. He was acting as a human king would act with the circumstances before him. And, you know, having never been in a position of being a king, I'm not going to be too quick to judge David's decision here. But suffice it to say that we as believers in Christ are not to act in the way that David did here. That we're not to take judgment. We're not to make these kinds of decisions. We're called on to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. You know, I think people can read sometimes the Old Testament. You've seen some of these people. You've seen even in our country. 
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, I want to tell you something that's exciting happening here at the church. We have a college that we've started. We offer a two-year diploma in Christian apologetics and theology. We have two exciting classes coming up with great instructors. It's Hidden Riches of Church History from the Resurrection to the Reformation. And we have a class on Christian philosophy. How do we know what truth is? We're going to look at epistemology and some other subjects like that. Are you a working adult? Have you just graduated from high school and looking to go deeper in your faith? The tuition is very low and the instruction is excellent. And the classes start in July. Are you interested? Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to give answers for the hope that you have in the public square? Well, check it out today. It's thetruthacademy.com, thetruthacademy.com. Sign up today, find out all the information, and get equipped. God bless you. He was acting as a human king would act with the circumstances before him. And you know, having never been in a position of being a king, I'm not going to be too quick to judge David's decision here. But suffice it to say that we as believers in Christ are not to act in the way that David did here. That we're not to take judgment. We're not to make these kinds of decisions. We're called on to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. You know, I think people can read sometimes the Old Testament. And you've seen some of these people. You've seen, even in our country today, some of these churches that are they're pretty whacked out, you know, and they look at Old Testament. They say, see, we're to bring the judgment upon sinners today. Just like they did in the Old Testament. No, no, no. As a Christian, that's not for us. We're to show mercy in the way that Jesus showed mercy. The church, and remember this, the church has never called upon to execute judgment on someone. Can I say that again? The church is never called upon to execute judgment on someone. Remember, Jesus said, judge now. Now, he wasn't saying that we can't look at people's fruit and know where they are. He says, if we're going to judge, judge rightly. Make sure you have all the facts. But he's also saying it is not up to you to execute a judgment on someone. That's up to him. Only God knows whether a person is saved or not. It's not up to us to make that judgment. When people who call themselves Christians have done that, when they have judged in that way, they really bring reproach to the cause of Christ. We've seen that, haven't we not? And I'll just call them out, that Westboro Baptist Church that goes to funerals of our fallen heroes and disrupts them with their horrible theology is an example of what I'm talking about. Well, as we've come to the close of the passage, you, you remember that the title of this message was The King Restored, And that, that really is an accurate description. The king, in that physical sense, was restored as king over all of Israel, all of Judah, and he was back on the rightful throne. But you know, whenever we study the events of the Old Testament, we know that they're recorded for us to look closely at them and see what is the application for us today. And I think as we do that, as we look really closely at what took place here, that we're going to find out that this is really not about David being restored at all. In fact, it's completely the opposite. What it's actually about is Israel being restored to her proper king. 
You see, David was always the true king of Israel. No matter that he was exiled, no matter where he was living, no matter that he was on the run, and no matter that Absalom had proclaimed himself king and swayed people to follow him, David still remained the rightful, anointed, true king of Israel. His position never changed. And I think we need to recognize that in this story, there's three types of people here. The first one are those who faithfully stayed loyal to their true king. Those who, when Joab was speaking to David, said, hey, you know, would you, these people here, they believe that you would rather have Absalom alive and all of them dead. These were people who stayed with David no matter what. They were true to their king. But there are two other types of people that we see here. Those who had followed their true king originally, but they were seduced into temporarily following a false king. And then there is a third type. There were those who were like Shimei, those who had never accepted the true king. He had never accepted David as his true king. And there were many of the people of Israel that were in this second category. They had really just been swayed by Absalom, who was a man of the flesh, much like the first king of Israel, King Saul. Remember back in uh, chapter 15, that we read that Absalom used flattery and, and sort of, well, I'll just say it, kissing up to people to gain their affection. Beware of people like that. Um, actually, it says in chapter 15, verse 6, the way it puts it, it says, he stole the hearts of the people. He conspired to take the throne, and then eventually, chapter 15, verse 10, he proclaimed himself king. There was no declaration by any prophet of God, no anointing by a priest of God. Absalom was just a self-proclaimed ruler. Who does that remind you of? That reminds me of Satan himself. The one that said, I will, I will, I will, I will. A self-proclaimed ruler. And can you look here and see how Israel's falling for the seduction for the lies of Absalom and leaving David their true king? It's a picture of us. It's a picture of us who at times fall for the seductive lies, lies of the false ruler of this world and following him instead of following our true king. You see, these people needed to be restored in their true relationship with their true king. And I want you to think about it today. Think of it as a believer here today. Do you need to be restored to the true king? Have you allowed yourself, have I allowed myself to be seduced into following a false king? Now, you know, maybe not in a visible way. This was very visible. David knew who was following Absalom and who was staying loyal to him. But have we been seduced into following a false king? And, you know, we, come, we still come to church. We put on our act every week. We bring our Bible, you know, and some of us, the bigger, the better, so that we can look spiritual. But we're talking about here, is Jesus still the king of our heart? Is, is he the ruler over our heart? Is he having that place of sovereignty 
in our life or have we been seduced into following a false king? You know, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we call Jesus our king, then that means we're his subjects. And subjects obey the commands of their king. But fortunately, in verse 16, Jesus says he didn't ask us to do this alone. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. You see, Jesus gave us the power to follow him as king as well, not just the commandment. But just as David would not force himself back on the people of Israel, when you're following a false king, Jesus doesn't force his way back into your life either. When we've wandered off and decided that something was more important than our relationship with him, he doesn't force us. But in a similar way, remember how, how David had been you know, speaking to the priest and saying, you know, what's taking you so long here? Why isn't this happening faster? Well, Jesus does that as well. He speaks to you. He woos you. He loves you. He puts roadblocks in your way, trying to keep you from following a false king. You know, and you have this big roadblock and we act like we're an Olympic hurdler and jump over it at times. But he's calling us back. He won't force his way. But maybe you're here today and maybe you're not even in that second category. Maybe you're in that third category. Maybe you're like Shimei and maybe you've never truly made Jesus your king. If you have not done that, then you're like the millions of people in this world today who are ruled by the one the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air. His name is Satan. He's the deceiver. He's the father of all lies. And, you know, you don't have to bow down to him. This is, this is, we get this wrong. It's not that you're bowing down to Satan. You're not down the street at the temple of Satan, you know, falling down and doing incantations. You don't have to do that. You see, his deception is basically convincing you that he doesn't even exist. How can you know you're following this false king if you think he doesn't even exist? He's not even real. But what he does instead is he convinces you to put yourself on the throne. Once he's got you doing that, once you've put yourself on the throne, he's got you right where he wants you. You're following a false king. You may believe it's yourself even, but it's not. It's Satan. And that lie, that putting you under that control of your own self, puts you under his dominion. I would say this. Once you believe Satan doesn't exist, but I'm in charge of me and nothing else matters. I'm the master of my fate, right? Once you believe that, he owns you. But I want you to know this, if that's you this morning, that Satan's end, along with his subjects, is going to be just like Absalom's. Proverbs 16, 25 says this, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death or the way of destruction. And that is the end of those who will not put their faith and trust and follow the true one king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But this king is not like a human king. This king who wants you to follow him and give your heart to him is different. This king laid his life down for you and for me. 
This king gave his life on a cross so that you and I could have a relationship with him so that we could not only confess, but repent and turn from our sin and receive him not only as our king and our Lord, but as our savior, one who brings us into an eternal relationship. So as Shane comes back up to lead us, we're gonna be closing in a song here, but I'm gonna ask that you would all stay for this song. I will be closing us in prayer when the song is over, but I want us to just take a few moments here And I'm asking that any of you who see yourself in Shammai or Shimei, and you realize that you've not made Jesus your true king, that you've never followed the one and only the true king. You've not made him your Lord and Savior. I'm just going to ask that during this song, if you would, I'm going to come down here. And if that's you this morning, you've never fully committed yourself to Jesus Christ and you wanna do that this morning, you realize that he is the king and that he has been wooing you. He has been speaking to you. He has been putting roadblocks in your way saying, no, turn, don't go that way. Come to me. If that's you this morning, I'm just gonna ask that during this song, don't be afraid. Just come right up to the front here on my right-hand side because I wanna pray for you. But I think there might be some of you here this morning that are really in that second category. I think you may realize that, you know what? Yes, I, I know that Jesus is my king. I know he's my true king, but I've kind of wandered away from that. I haven't been acting as though he is my king. I have not been obeying his commands. He hasn't been king of my heart. My heart has been somewhere else. And I'm gonna ask this morning if that's you to just come down here in the front of my left-hand side, if you would, because I wanna pray for you as well. And don't not do it because of fear. We're not gonna, this is not gonna be a 10-minute altar call. We don't believe in manipulation here, but I want you to have an opportunity. You know, I know in my life that there have been times when I wasn't close to the Lord and, and someone gave that opportunity to recommit my life to the Lord, and I'm thankful that that happened because we remember those moments, much as we may remember the moment we got baptized a day that you'll never forget. And sometimes we need to make that step. We need to say, yes, Jesus, I've been following a false king. I'm not even sure which king that was, but it hasn't been you. And I wanna make sure that I'm following you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, I want to tell you something that's exciting happening here at the church. We have a college that we've started. We offer a two-year diploma in Christian apologetics and theology. We have two exciting classes coming up with great instructors. It's Hidden Riches of Church History from the Resurrection to the Reformation. And we have a class on Christian philosophy. How do we know what truth is? We're going to look at epistemology and some other subjects like that. Are you a working adult? Have you just graduated from high school and looking to go deeper in your faith? The tuition is very low and the instruction is excellent, and the classes start in July. Are you interested? Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to give answers for the hope that you have in the public square? Well, check it out today. It's thetruthacademy.com, thetruthacademy.com. Sign up today, find out all the information, and get equipped. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.